man, this place is a mess. Is it? Aw, oh, man, that's disgusting. Who let the donkey do that? This place is a wreck. How are we ever going to get this city clean? You guys make me sick. I can't believe that you would even think of trying to cook some lamb chops with that. That's right. The Feast of Tabernacles has come to an end. But as it ends, join us today on Bible Study Podcast to see what the Pharisees have to clean up as the officials come back. Friday. Thanks for joining me for another edition of Bible Study Podcast as we study through the Gospel of John. My name is Justin and it's such a pleasure to be with you again this week as we work our way through this Gospel and grow closer in our walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today we're going to finish up chapter 7 as we'll begin with verse 45 and we'll see the aftermath of the feast that we've been experiencing the last few weeks. But before we do that, I'd just like to give you a little bit of information and have a word of prayer with you. First off, I, I'd like to let everyone know that you can always reach me at Bible Study Podcast Justin at gmail.com. Feel free to get a hold of me for anything you might need, and, and I'll try my best to get back to you as soon as possible. I'd also like to thank all of you who have been praying for this ministry, and would ask that you continue to join with me in prayer, as we're always consumed in a battle with the enemy, who never wants God's word to reach out to the people. So please be in prayer that the message of the gospel would be able to reach out to as many as we can. Further, stay tuned at the end of this podcast for a message from our founder if you would like to find ways to help with this ministry. And while we're on the subject of Toby, I'd like to ask all of you to be in prayer for him and his family. They're now in the process of deciding whether or not they should accept a call to plant a church in the Midwest area of America. And as you can imagine, there are a lot of factors that play into that decision. Please be in prayer for him, and please, if you can, just take the time to contact him at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com and let him know that you're praying for him, and just encourage him if you can. This is a huge decision for him and his family, and I know he would just appreciate any any care you could give him and any prayer you would put up for him. And finally, I'd like to ask you to be in prayer for my wife and me, as I have taken a part-time position as an intern for a new church in the Indian Land, South Carolina area. I'm going to be working there in the areas of evangelism and outreach, so please be in prayer that I'll be diligent in my work, that I'll make good choices, that I will be true to God and true to His Word, and that I will be able to reach out to the culture without watering down what is true and what is good. Please also pray that I'll be able to kind of work out my schedule as I'm still working my regular full-time job, as well as going to school full-time and doing this ministry as well, so uh, please just pray that I'll... I'll be able to keep up with everything, and uh, if you live down in the Indian land area, give me a give me a buzz, drop me an email, and uh, I'd love to see you come out if you don't have a church home of your own. And if you could, please be in prayer for me as I, I'm about to embark on the task that just about every American probably will do at some point in their life, and that's get on a fitness plan and work on my diet. As those of you who are married can attest to, the first few months are great for your life, but they're terrible for your waistline. And and as I've gotten terribly out of shape, and with my schedule as packed as it is, I I just don't want to end up with a you know kind of a stress breakdown or medical issues because my body can't handle what I'm kind of putting it through. So 
So I'm going to be uh, working to get in shape and eating better starting actually yesterday. We, we've we got our gym membership, you know, we've got our, our little card in hand so we can join the hundreds of us to go and work out. And I tell you, friends, I, I worked out for the first time in a few months last night and it was rough, man. <laughs> I thought I was going to die right there on the spot, so... Be praying for us, and and if you guys and gals have any tips for me in regards to workouts or anything I should try to do, any kind of exercises, any foods I should eat, any foods I should not eat, other than, you know, donuts and cakes and the other things that are sugar and spice and everything nice, you know, if you have any tips that could help me at all or could help others, please go ahead and send them to me at BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com and, uh, I really look forward to hearing your tips, and and if I get enough response, I I may even start a new segment here with your tips where I could just maybe give you a health tip every week or or somewhere like that. So, you know, send me any tips you have, and I'll be glad to spread them out to everybody else. So (laughs) I really would appreciate that. And with all that in mind, let's turn our hearts and our minds toward heaven and, and open with a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we turn to you tonight and pray on behalf of all men and women and for those who are in authority over us so that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity for we know that this is good and acceptable to you Lord we desire that we would be as you Lord for you desire that all men might be saved and might come to the knowledge of truth for you are the only God and Jesus you are the only mediator between man and God For you gave yourself as our ransom and have given this word as our testimony. Help us to go out and spread your word to all the nations that many would come to you for salvation. It's in the name of Jesus, the Christ, that we can pray. Amen. Now as we open our Bibles today to John 7 verse 45, I, I have to admit to you that our podcast today will probably not be as long as some of the others. It's not that this isn't important, and it's not that there's not information in this passage. It's just we're only going to go through a couple verses, as we're only going through to chapter 8, verse 1 tonight. So that next week, we can kind of keep our passage together and make it a little more coherent as a story. And as we pick up today, we, we finally see the temple officials, basically the Jewish police who were sent out in verse 32 of this chapter, coming back to the Pharisees and the chief priests. And as they return, we see the Jewish leaders asking them, Why did you not bring him? Referring to the fact that they had returned without bringing Jesus. Which, as you may recall, that was the entire reason they were sent out in the first place. So we begin what is a brief episode at the aftermath of the feast. Now remember that last week we spoke of how it was the last day of the feast, and it was now time for the people to be leaving. But as we finished last week... We left with the crowd being divided, as some believed that Jesus was indeed the Christ, while others did not believe the same. And so now, here we are with the people exiting, and the Pharisees are now going to see if they can clean up what has just occurred. If they can do some damage control, or if they can really control this crowd, as Jesus has just openly told everyone in the city, the packed house city, that if they want salvation, they must come to him. In other words, as the Pharisees begin to decide how they're going to clean this mess up, these guards, these officials, come back without Jesus. 
Now, I don't really know what the Pharisees had in mind at this point to do to Jesus, but I can imagine that it probably wasn't going to be a nice get-together. You know, we're not talking about cookies and cream here, you know. <laughs> Remember that while the Romans were now in control of Israel, they had given the Jewish leaders a, a good amount of leeway in legislating themselves so that the Romans would not have to keep the order. So it's kind of in this light that the Pharisees may have had some legal remedies, at least, maybe punishments toward Jesus at worst, which they could have performed and carried out. But that was a moot point at this time because <laughs> Jesus was not in their custody. The guards had not brought him in. So the question was quite obvious. Why didn't you bring him? And the response is somewhat surprising, and, and I think it gives us a view into the Jewish leadership at the time. They respond in verse 46 that never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Greek in this phrase literally reads, man never spoke this. In other words, these guards are saying, we've never heard anything like this. You know, we have never heard a man teach as Jesus taught. We have never been around a person who says the things like he has said them. The insinuation kind of subtly is that Surely he must be speaking the words of God. This is not just something that man cooked up. What an incredible observation from these policemen. Even these uneducated men were able to see the beauty and the majesty in the words which Jesus gave to the people. They were able to see that there was more to this man's message than the everyday person's teaching. This was no Pharisee's babbling. There was something special in the words that he spoke. In fact, Jesus' message was so unique, so incredible, so powerful to them, that they simply could not take him into custody. I mean, this was their answer as to why they didn't bring him in. He spoke as no one else does. Now, while the officials have given a report of Jesus, and as they stand in awe of him, you can only imagine that the Pharisees are not the happiest of critters at this point. Their immediate reaction, verse 47, shows this to be true. Asking them, You have not been led astray, have you? You can almost feel the heat rising as they continue in verse 48. No one of the rulers or Pharisees have believed in them. Has he? But this crowd, this crowd, they reason, which doesn't know the law, they're cursed. That is, they're a cursed set. They're the scum of the earth. God is not blessing them, for they are trash. Although this is only a small phrase, you know, this phrase, they are cursed, it's a huge statement for the Pharisees to make. They are quite literally cursing the crowd for following Jesus. Isn't it ironic that we've already seen that it's not the crowd which is damned by their decisions, but in fact it's the Pharisees who are damned by theirs. And I also find it telling of how these leaders respond. When the guards come back and tell them that Jesus has taught like no one ever has, their response is not to see what it is that Jesus is teaching. It's not to ask the guards why they came to that conclusion. It's nothing you would expect to see from the learned, respected, religious authorities. No. Instead, their response is to immediately doubt the guards' intelligence and to bash the source of this information. They immediately conclude that these guards must be deceived. And the crowd must be cursed. Perhaps I could just mention in passing that this may be something that we can learn from as well. I know there are times when there are people who I may not fully agree with who will make a point 
that if I would really look at his point, it's a good one. It's one that would honor God. But I reject it without even listening to his argument. Perhaps it would do us all well to respond to the falsity of the argument and reject the false premises of it rather than just rejecting people without even listening to what they're saying. But we won't dwell on that too much for now. And the reason we won't is that a man we have met before has now come back onto the scene, and that man is Nicodemus in verse 50. As you may remember from chapter 3, this is the man who had come to see Jesus at night and who learned the truth about what it meant to be born again. And now, perhaps many late years later, we see him in his official role as a Jewish leader, one of the council. Maybe he's a true believer in Christ. We're not really told. But we do know that he at least feels that Jesus may be getting dumped on a little bit more than he should be. And so he stands and he asks a question in defense of Christ. He, his question to the council, which is found in verse 51, is simply, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? So basically, Nicodemus calls out the fact that there is a formal flaw in this whole Jesus-bashing meeting. For the leaders have not heard from Jesus himself. And at least in his eyes, the law does not judge unless it hears from the man. Now I kind of find this to be an interesting step for Nicodemus. I do believe he's attempting to somehow shield Jesus, but the problem with the Pharisees' argument to begin with is an informal flaw. That is, their argument against Jesus is not valid on the basis of their false premises. And those premises are that Jesus is not from Bethlehem, that's false, and that Jesus is not from God. He's not of God and he's not God. All of which are false. But rather than try to take on the leaders for their true error, Nicodemus seems to kind of capitulate here and just settle with the weaker argument that the council is judging Jesus without a trial. And while this is true, and you know, technically I guess it is a suitable argument, it is a formal flaw in the Pharisees' argument, the fact is it has no real strength to it. And yet it also exposes that Nicodemus is somehow fond of Jesus. You know, I believe this is exactly what the rest of the group sees as they immediately turn against their fellow Pharisee in verse 52. I mean, you kind of see this kind of strange feeling coming out of Nicodemus. You know he supports Jesus. You know that he wants to stand up for him in some way, but he's not really willing to stand up for him for the falsity of the argument. He he just kind of steps back and maybe takes the legal way out. He He appeals to the law rather than appealing to the truth that Jesus is from God. But the Pharisees, I think they pick this out right away, and you can almost hear the sneer in their question in verse 52 as they ask, You're not from Galilee as well, are you? But another fact that is very telling in this group is that in their condemnation of Nicodemus, they challenge him by telling him to search the scriptures and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. What an arrogant challenge for this group to give. Because they have no clue how ignorant, maybe even stupid, they are of the situation. First, Jesus is not actually from Galilee originally. You know, he was born in Judea. Bethlehem is in Judea. It's not in Galilee. Of course, the leaders don't know this, but ignorance is not always an excuse. But even if it weren't the case that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, even if we kind of put this aside because the Pharisees just were ignorant of the situation. 
There have been prophets that have arisen out of Galilee. <laughs> prophets like Jonah, Nahum, Hosea. They were from Galilee. And they were not only accepted prophets, they were in the canon. They were most likely being taught to the people by these very Pharisees. This is not ignorance. This is stupidity. They clearly have no grasp of what they're talking about. I mean, the fact is, this group's hatred for our Lord is becoming so clearly evident and is beginning to not only push them into action, push them into trying to seize him, to take him into custody and do something, but it's also causing them to view things through a completely clouded vision. The rejection of Christ has set them on a collision course with everything which they believe they were above. They are now the group of error. They are now the group upon whom God's wrath will fall. They are the group that doesn't know the scriptures. They're making stupid comments. They're not making wise comments. They're doing things that are counter to the very word they proclaim to be the experts of. I mean, is this not the case with us often in our lives as well? The minute we turn from Christ, the minute we turn our backs to what is true, is the minute we're going to start doing stupid things. We're going to start making decisions that, at best, are questionable, at worst, are harmful. That's where we're at with the Pharisees. But as the rejection grows stronger, and the outline of the cross grows clearer and clearer, we see chapter 7 close with the comment that everyone went to his home. But as chapter 8 opens, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. The comparison is being made very clearly, I believe, as the Pharisees, the powerful leaders of the Jews, the authorities to the people, who have everything they want, that go toward their homes, and they're not saved. They're headed straight toward the gates of hell. And yet, on the other hand, Jesus, the Son of Man who has nowhere to lay his head, the literal Word of God incarnate, goes to the Mount of Olives, the place where he's often found in the Gospels to be praying, with the power to save anyone who would come unto him. All who are thirsty, he says, come to me, and I will give you drink. Indeed, it is true that it is not often the rich things of the world which God uses to save, but it's the poor things, so that God may be magnified and all glory may be given to Him. So it is in this situation. As the Pharisees go their home, Jesus goes to the mountain. Praise be to our God, who was and is and is to come. Next time we'll begin into the riveting story of John chapter 8, but until then, please remember along with me that if we're not careful in doing what we think is right, in doing the things that we think are best, we sometimes miss what God has said is right. We sometimes don't do what He has said. So please, don't take the root of the Pharisees. Don't go on your own will. Follow Christ. Read his word. Learn what it is that he has said for you to do. Trust in him. Pray that he will give you strength to carry through. Follow Christ. That'll wrap it up for this week. And until we meet again, friends, may grace and peace be unto you, and may God bless and keep you.
This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Dream.